It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now. From the grassroots to the elite, from the juniors to the pros, covering the Aussies trekking the globes to the champions internationally. Welcome to the first serve, your home of tennis for Green Life Group, whose passion is open space. Build, maintain, sustain. Check out Australia's market leader at glgcorp.com. Good evening, everybody. Welcome along to another Monday night edition of The First Serve. My name is Brett Phillips. Alongside me is the Newcomb medalist of 2015, the man who owns the fastest serve in the history of the game, Sam Groth. Good to see you, Grothy. BP, good to be here. Tackled uh, Commonwealth, did I see uh, earlier today? Oh. How'd you go? No, today off. I've, I tell you, I've been out there. I played eight rounds of golf last week, so... Today was a uh, today was a quieter one, but no, I've uh, spent a bit of time with the wife today. All right, nice work. I'm sure you're cooking up a nice uh, feast. Sammy, we have got a bit to get through, and I suppose our focus tonight is global and also domestic. We've covered a fair bit of the grassroots in the last few weeks, but we know a decision is pending regarding the US Open. We feel like we've been talking about this for an absolute eternity. It may land overnight. It may land sometime tomorrow our time, but this week is uh, the week that we know what is going to happen with the US Open. And certainly there are reports today that the US Open is on, but we want to go to a man straight off the top of the show who's been involved in a lot of these powerful stakeholder discussions over the past couple of months, the CEO and a good friend of ours on the program. Always great with his time of Tennis Australia, Craig Tiley. Craig, great to have you back on the show. Hey, Brett. Good to, good to be talking again. And uh, and Grothy, is a, good to hear you getting on the course eight times in one week. That's got to be a record in itself. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah, trying. Try I'm making the most him, of it. <laughs> try and stop him. Now, I'm going to ask you a very straightforward question, Craig, right off the top. Yeah. Is the US Open going to happen or is it not? I need a yes or no, Craig. Well, my guess it'll be yes. Um, and... Uh, and I think the, uh, but I'll leave that to the USTA to make an announcement. I think it'll be great if it does happen. And um, and the, you're right. I think in, it, you know it could be overnight. It's this week. It was scheduled from the 15th, and um, they quite a few more things to iron out with the playing group, both on the men's and the women's side. And and um, and I think they want to ensure that they get enough players committing to play it and to travel to New York to play it. Um, obviously the. The uh, social distance or the physical distancing and and the and the biosecurity quarantine requirements are fairly significant, so they have to work through those and get the confidence of the players that they're willing to play under those conditions. Um, but I think the way it's trending, I think it's going to be a positive answer. I'd be I'd be somewhat surprised if they came and said no, and if they did, it would be only because they wouldn't be able to assure um, that they would have the uh, the majority of the players. Out. Yeah, obviously, Craig, and you'd be very understanding of what they're going through. Obviously, we're in a little bit better position here in Australia with our current coronavirus numbers than they are over in New York. But the ins and outs of running an event of that size, uh, is it going to be able to function as an event? I mean, obviously, you're planning for January with the Australian Open and, and what that tournament's going to look like. But how do you see the US Open functioning as an event? We're hearing little bits from the playing group about the restrictions they're going to be put on them and their team and where they're going to have to stay. But can you see it as a tournament, I guess, will there be an asterisk against the US Open in 2020 for whoever wins it? Or can you see it running and functioning as a as a proper event? 
It, it won't function as the event that we recognised back in 2019 because there, there, there's not going to be people in the stands. There will be, you know, limited uh, access to the site by the by the playing group and their teams. That, for example, you know, you'd be limited to access in the locker rooms on the day you don't play, for example. And so I think it'll look very different. It'll feel very different. But from a from a broadcast point of view, be able to watch some of the great players and and the and the rank and file compete for that title. You know, we'll get to enjoy that for two weeks. So we'll be watching tennis again uh, on TV, and I think that'll be special. Um, but I think you're right, Graffy. I think it's, it's going to be a different event. Um, uh, whether or not there's an asterisk next to it uh, remains to be seen because everything's got to go well. But we, you know, we, we'll look to learn from what happens in, in, in US Open, with US Open in New York and, and with the French Open in uh, in Paris. Um and of course, we're you know, seven, eight months away still, so we've still got some time. And uh, and the way Australia have, have handled the response to this this pandemic and and is going to certainly help us. And, and I think the players and everyone travelling here will have a lot more comfort coming to Australia by then uh, than they currently probably have going to New York. Craig Tiley, right off the top of the show tonight, the CEO of Tennis Australia, Tournament Director of the Australian Open, always uh, giving us some uh, great time threat any tennis year. And Adam Peacock on Fox Sports wrote an article today. The quote here, uh, which I had right in front of me, which I've now misplaced. Where is it? Here it is. All uh, want the sport to do well as long as they do well out of it. So I just want to understand, Craig. I mean, it, look, absolutely the health and safety is paramount of everyone involved in the game we know that if the usta don't run the us open which is such a large chunk of their annual revenue like the french uh, tennis federation it is a significant blow to them financially can you just give us a feeling of the economics and what you're going through as an organization at tennis australia because they they are clearly in play here yeah, that have to be because it's, it's business survival as well to a point. It's got to be, a, there has to be a, a comfortable arrangement reached between the playing group and, and those that are promoting the event. And it's not just the US Open, it'll be the Masters 1000s, it'll be all the events, tennis events. And, and then many of the tennis events struggled to make ends meet even prior to uh, this pandemic. And now coming out of it is even more difficult. So, Absolutely, there's going to be financial considerations. Um, I can really only talk to our experience. I know the US, USTA laid off 130 staff last week, and and that's significant. Uh, you know that that's going to represent you know 20% of the up to 20 close to 20% of the workforce, which is which is a lot. Um, and I think the um, every Grand Slam, every sporting organisation around the world, we've all seen it, is struggling with their cost base and and the revenue. The reality is that even in our case, even though we had an event this year, which was great, we were impacted by the bushfires and and by the beginning of the virus, the last part of the event. And then, of course, we plan to have an event in in 2021. We're confident we will. We think we'll have an event with crowds, although there'll probably be some form of social or physical distance requirements, which would impact the revenue as well. But but the reality is also from a sponsorship point of view, from a merchandise retail point of view, a corporate hospitality, international travel point of view, everything is down. There isn't one entertainment and sporting franchise that hasn't been financially impacted or will be financially impacted. And unfortunately, it's not just going to be for one year. We're looking at about a three to five year window where you can come back to the same levels that you had this year. Um, so it's going to be difficult for everyone. Um, we're going to be no different, although the scale of us is, 
uh, the Australian Open and, and Tennis Australia is probably going to be as great as the others because of some mechanisms we had in place, like we did have pandemic insurance, which were probably one of the only ones. Uh, we do do have self-insurance in a reserve. But still, with that, um, we, we'd be telling our team, you know, everyone took a 30% pay cut uh, back in April. Um, and, uh, um, and from that point, you know, everyone's, everyone's been impacted. And, you know, we've got to assess that again at the end of this month and decide what happens next. So, um, and there will be some ongoing changes we need to make because we've got to keep the business viable until the next opportunity we have to maximize the revenue. So it is a business decision, but it has to be done prudently with, uh, with the playing group too because they've also not been in a position to generate revenue. So we have to provide them with opportunities to be able to do that as well. Well, you mentioned the playing group there. Obviously, there's been a lot of discussions for a while now around some domestic playing opportunities. We've seen events in Florida, in the Czech Republic for women, uh, in Serbia this week with Novak Djokovic and the Ultimate Tennis Showdown that Patrick Moratoglu is hosting. Um, whereabouts is Australia in terms of getting its playing group some playing opportunities and the chance to maybe make a little bit of money here on domestic soil? Sure. Well, we were hoping we could announce the specifics of that tonight. We need another 24 to 48 hours. But we are going to be having a multi-city event uh, starting in, in, in two weeks' time, maybe even before that. That'll run all the way through until uh, the end of July when our players will then potentially be travelling over to the east coast of the US if they're wanting to play. And if the US Open doesn't go ahead and and there's more problems with international travel, we'll have a second phase of that competition. But there will be prize money available to the players. Um, We would love to have started this earlier, but um, we still have two states that have borders shut, or more that have borders shut. So being able to have, in tennis, as you know, Grothy, better than anyone, being able to compete with your peers in a fair environment requires a bit of travel, movement movement from place to place. So... So we, we, we thought we'd had, the, had it cracked a few weeks ago, potentially an, an, an event in Adelaide, but then it just became uh, just not possible with travel getting the players, uh, with having to breach quarantine requirements, which is no one wanted to do that. So, so we're in a good place now, and, uh, and we'll, we'll have uh, probably different to those events. Several of those events you mentioned are one-off events, They're, you know, a, a day or two exhibition. You know, we're looking to have multi-city events over a much longer period, um, and give our players that won't have to travel, for example, New South Wales can stay there um, and in Queensland can stay there because those borders are still closed and the same in Victoria. And then as we open up, being able to travel uh, more to these cities to have these events. So, uh, and there'll be significant prize money, which, uh, which I think would be great for our playing group. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously great support if we can get something up and running. And BP, we've been very... Or trying to get in depth with our look into the performance review that's been going on, Craig. I'm sure you've been aware that we've been discussing that over the last sort of month or so here and trying to keep everyone updated. Obviously, Paul Vassello has been put into his job as head of talent. We were lucky enough to speak to a man that I know very well in Brent Larkham, who's, who's back, which I think was a great appointment. But there's, all, you know, there's been a lot of discussion domestically around that performance review and what's happening moving forward. And it's my understanding that you had a call with a lot of the top male players in the last couple of weeks. Um, we've heard about the sort of 15 to 23 group and uh, the younger group, which we're going to hopefully get to speak, Brett, to Paul Vassello at some stage and he can get, yeah. give us his idea on that whole situation. But can you tell us a little bit about or give us any of the information from that call that you had with, with those top male players at all? 
Yeah, sure. We've had we've got another one actually tomorrow. We've had a couple calls, um, and just each week, just keeping the playing group up to date of, uh, of of what's happening. And the review. I mean, if, if we actually, I think the first time we discussed it was was during the Adelaide uh, Davis Cup tie. It was just before lockdown uh, when we just uh, announced the changes. And and uh, and if we really have a look at it, it's it's in three chunks. Um, and to uh, try and simplify as best as possible. And, and, and obviously, things are going well for us. We've got, uh, you know, an uh, Ash Barty, number one woman-ranked player in the world. We've got both men and women more. We have ranked and younger players that we've ranked in the world that we've had for a long time, which is great. So it's a good time to recalibrate and to look how what else you can do. But the review really came off the back is that we didn't believe that there were enough players getting enough opportunities um, we had a few players getting a lot of opportunities and we wanted more players to get more opportunities. And that's the feedback we were getting from coaches, private coaches, from parents and from the playing group themselves. So not everyone's going to be a winner out of that when you have that approach, but certainly a lot more are going to benefit from it. And so that was the, the basis of which we made the decisions. And it's really in three chunks. The, the first bit is probably the most critical bit, and that is giving young, talented players an opportunity to excel, and for us to provide them with a playing of playing opportunities where they can become the best they can be. And, and what we're doing is rolling out national development squads across the country, um, and each will have a lead. Some some appointments you just know. Simon Ray has just been announced to lead uh, to lead the Victoria. Um, Ruff Durek is going to be leading uh, Tasmania. Um, and uh, you know, and, and we've got Stan and Stolly who's going to lead, lead uh, the national development squads in South Australia. The other ones in the, in, the, in this week be, to be finalised and announced. And you guys probably know some of the, the, the rumours about those. But but a team that's going to bring together the best players in every age group as often as possible to train in squads, not to coach them because their private coaches will coach them, but to further augment and facilitate their training environments. Then when you reach about the age, if you're really good at the age of 15, 16, you'll have an opportunity then to go to one environment, which we've nominated as Brisbane. The head coach has just been appointed as Brent Larkham. He's going to be announcing his group of about, you know, I think anywhere from four to seven coaches in that group. That'll be both touring coaches and residential coaches. There'll be an academy, schooling environment. Um, and, uh, and Brent will lead the development of our best players from 15 to about 23 um, but mostly 15 to 18 when they're still in school. And after 18, you pretty much go off and, and we, we provide you with a coach to go out into the environment and, and, um, you know, and be on the tour. Cause as you know, Grocky, well, you're on the tour for most of your, most of your, most of the year. Then after the age of 23, so that's the second chunk. And, and those are called our emerging professional athletes. Then generally after the age of 23, sometimes it's 21, sometimes it's 25. But generally, on average, after the age of 23, you're now in a position where you're earning a living. Um, you're on the road. You're, 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 you're playing on the tour. We've, we've supported you for those five years of transition years, which is normally, you know, well, we've spoken about this a lot, Grothy. That's the most difficult period. And I don't think tennis, I don't think we did a great job supporting the athletes well enough in that period historically as a whole. So we want to do better in that space. Um, but then after the age of 23, 24, is there's other ways we can help athletes. And, and investing purely in just coaching um, at that level for just a few athletes um, is challenging. And, uh, and also, it just takes away from the resources uh, underneath. So in, in the emerging athletes, where they need more of the resources or in the talented athletes. So that's the way we've approached it. So we have um, 
we have uh, with we've got you know, we've got an awesome Davis Cup captain in Leighton, and uh, Leighton uh, and with and Rochi as, as one of our uh, Davis Cup coaches, Alicia Malik in Fed Cup is awesome as well, and and together with their uh, with the coach and and other coaches that they decide or a coach they decide to the Davis Cup team will be there and Fed Cup team will be there to support the athletes. And uh, and this is where we we now say to the athletes that when you've reached that point and and you're making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year or even more, um, the, you're in a position where you should be able to you know su- support yourselves more. We can provide you with uh, with sports science services on the road to a point, and we can provide you with coaching services to a road to a point. But having an assigned coach to an athlete when they're generating significant revenues is 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 not yeah. not a resource in the future that yeah. we can in a position yep. to continue to support. We will uh, continue to pull it apart. It's fascinating. It's, it's been great for us. I've got to say, you know, if you get, get, get the glass half full and this whole COVID, it's, it's actually given us a real chance, Craig, just to uh, have a look at the domestic scene on our show, talk to the private sector, talk to the high performance area and the parents and given us a real perspective on that tennis uh, ecosystem here in Australia. Just one final one, just back on the global scene. Mm-hmm. So, you're certainly of the optimistic view that the US Open is likely to be given the tick of approval. We may find out overnight. There's certainly been speculation going around that then they would also announce Rome, Madrid as lead-ups to Paris and maybe even pushing the French Open back another week. So I think it would start, what, late September into the first two weeks of October potentially. Can you just shed any light on those discussions of what we might see sort of rolled out this week globally? Yeah, I think. Look, just to, to your question earlier, it, it's uh, it just shows you how difficult it is, you know, getting something up and going. I mean, even from the WTA and the ATP's point of view, the two men's and women's tours, they themselves haven't even finalised the calendar. And this is on the top end of the game because you just can't. You just don't know when you're going to start, and you don't know what restrictions you're going to be under, and you've got to negotiate with governments for entry into countries. But but what you said there is correct. That's the latest, but that could change tomorrow. It's changed yep. every day. Um, and uh, and I think the um, you know I think we we're going to find those out in the coming weeks and and these are good things for us because we can learn from them and and uh, and certainly do some things to help us you know in the future. But we're very confident that we're going to be running an event ourselves with crowds uh, in certain under certain conditions and have an excess, successful January with players coming in early and hopefully our local players have had an opportunity to prepare to go on back onto the tour that starts in August sometime, end of August, and uh, and they've played a couple of months of matches that we've provided for them to be able to do that. So we're hoping that that is the opportunity, which it will be the opportunity for them. And and then, you know, coming back to the player development review and that we've, you know, we've, we've been at this for over 18 months now, so it's not a, not a new thing. And there was an extensive consultation with a lot of people. And, and, uh, and of course there's, you know, we're getting a lot of positive feedback on um, on the on from the talent piece because it's going to. Previously, we were, we were helping four and uh, four hundred athletes. Now we can help four thousand, and then more work on the emerging athletes, the you know the fifteen to twenty three athletes, and and then of course supporting through our teams event, Davis Cup and Fed Cup, our pro uh, our pro touring athletes. So there is only a certain resource that's available. It's not it's not a never ending one, and particularly in these environments, we've got to be very very smart about how we spread our resources. But anyway, guys, keep up the good work. And uh, you, always, always good to chat to you and, and share your thoughts. And and, um, and you, you have a great show. Thank you. Always great to catch up with Craig Tiley. In-depth 
and plenty of good stuff in there, a lot to pull apart. So we think we sit here, Grothy, right now, 20 minutes into our show, thinking and from reading reports, hearing from Craig, who's in all those high-powered stakeholder meetings at the US Open, looks like it's going to get the tick. Yeah, and a couple of things just to make note of. Obviously, he said when we saw Wimbledon go through this, Tennis Australia does have that pandemic insurance, which I know has been a question from a lot of people. Do they have coverage if the event doesn't go forward? So that was also good to hear that, I guess, the security of Tennis Australia as an organisation and the tournament around that, it's sort of, hopefully we don't get to that point, but it's nice to hear there's that security too. And as always, there's still so much to unpack and see how this performance review is going to unfold. I mean, of course, you know, they're looking at everybody and everybody... You're never going to please everybody through this situation. And, you know, as much as the top players are quite often the ones that have that public voice, mm. at some stage as well, and I've been pretty open in, in saying it, um, you know, and I was one of those players myself, it is a job. And so yep. at some point you have to look at how you support yourself in a career that you've chosen. So, you know, you're never going to keep everybody happy, but I think obviously bringing that private sector and stuff back in, I think that was a point that Craig was trying to make there. They're, they're going to be out of touch in terms of the way that they help so many more athletes now. No doubt. And look, just from a domestic scene, trying to get something rolling in the short term, I mean, you know, so many of the forums, so much negativity, Australia's yeah. missed the boat, why aren't we playing any tennis? I listen to that explanation, and there's obviously so many layers to this. I mean, obviously all the states having their different restrictions, trying to get all of that on the same page. So I'm sure it's not because they haven't wanted to get something rolled out but yeah uh you know not not as straightforward so there's certainly you know cases for for both sides of the argument there no and people are going to ask the question say why didn't we just have something and you know i can understand that people wanted to see the players i'm sure the players asked Mm. but it takes time and it's not defending tennis australia right now but obviously this is not the world we all signed up for who knows what things get thrown in there that absolutely throw chaos to the wind so US Open, we may find out overnight, certainly in the next 24 hours. French Open have talked about reducing from 128 to 96 men. No mixed doubles, no legend event. They'll keep the men's and women's doubles. That's certainly been floated in the last uh, few days as well. Well, and this is where the uproar may come from the players because you're going to get a group that wants to play, a group that doesn't want to play. Yep. Where is it fair? How safe is it to go and play? I think it's not as simple as the tournament wanting to put this event on either. I think it's up to the WTA and the ATP to listen to their playing groups too and decide if it is safe for them to go and play these events. I think you know, we're already hearing Novak and Rafa probably aren't that keen on going, but once they get up and they say, well, there's a Grand Slam at stake here, Roger's out with yep. his knee injury, he's not going to be back in 2020, mm. do they then get on a plane, fly to New York with the chance of getting that extra Grand Slam title? So that's the bit that fascinates me, Sam. If uh, and, you know the, the best players have made their statements, how far down the list does this go? So if we get to a situation where... 50 I've got to a protected of 280. Of the top 100 don't want to play. Are we having a US Open with uh, players in the 200s or 300s? You know what I mean? Like, where, my, what's I think my be protected ranking gets me into that. Well, I think I'm about you, 280. Something. I might be able to sneak it, sneak a run into the well, US Open main draw. Get the gooch. Get, bring the gooch <laughs> with you. He's fighting fit. He's been stalled in all that work, losing 30 kegs, and he wants to get back oh, out hey. and play again. Oh, all right, we're going to uh, get a break in. Thanks to Beric Mazda, whose uh, once-a-year epic three-day exclusive sale starts on Friday. Visit uh, three prestige places in Narry Warren or bericmazda.com.au. The first serve on a Monday night here on SCN. The first serve, your home of tennis. The Green Life Group, your open space specialist in landscape construction, maintenance and project management. Check out glgcorp.com to discover more. 
Welcome back to the first serve. Brett Phillips and Sam Groth with you on this uh, Monday night. We've had a chat to Craig Tiley off the uh, top of the show. And if you've missed that, of course, we will podcast the whole show. You can listen uh, back to Always Good With His Time. A lot of in-depth stuff there. But as we were just talking about before we go to our next guest, Grothy, this is a really tough situation for people in tennis. The administrators, the playing group having their own thoughts and agenda there's just all these stakeholders who are, you know, as Adam, another quote in his article today, all realise they need each other, a unique landscape of collaborative selfishness. Well, and it's it's going to become a, a problem, I think, at some point. Obviously, there's been a lot of Zoom calls with the US Open and the ATP. I'm sure the WTA is going through the same thing. And you know, it's not just the US Open saying, let's have a tournament, because yep. the ATP and, and the governance of their playing group, for example, who I've had my contact with is, who does that organization support? Do they support the group of players that wants to go and play the event? Or do they support the group of players that says, well, it's too dangerous. We can't go. The, the Everything in the US right now, the civil unrest, the COVID-19 situation, the amount of deaths they're having, how bad it's been in New York, the players sort of split 50-50 with the organization trying to make a decision on what's best. Uh, it's... It could get ugly at some point. I mean, we all yeah. hope it doesn't and that things go back to normal, but there's a lot more than just the US Open saying, open the doors, we're going to play because we've already heard the top guys be extremely vocal about wanting to play or not. It's yeah, it, it's quite remarkable and it's, it's going to be intriguing to see how it plays out and we all wait for that announcement. Gee, it'd be a great doco, wouldn't it? Uh, the behind the scenes oh. of trying to pull yourself out of this pandemic uh, from a global, big global sporting organisation uh, point of view. Let's go to our next guest. Thanks to Top Agents Real Estate servicing all of Melbourne. If you live here or you're looking to move here and looking to buy, rent, sell, or have your property investment managed, make contact with David and his entire team tomorrow in Melbourne, nine double five eight four five double nine. Top agents.com.au is their website. You can follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Grothy, we've been talking about the New Zealand Premier League uh, getting underway across the ditch uh, the last few weeks. I wanted to check in with a man that I uh, met at the French Open last year doing Roland Garros Radio. He's a long-time broadcaster with uh, Radio Sport, SEN's equivalent over in New Zealand. Great tennis commentator, Matt Brown. It's good to have you on the first serve. G'day, Brett. Uh, nice to speak to you again. Yeah, great to have you on. Uh, tell us how the New Zealand Premier League has gone down because we just had a chat to Craig Tiley domestically here. We haven't seen any tennis at this stage. We're a little bit starved, but you've been able to get some uh, tennis going in the last few weeks. Yeah, it's been a really good initiative, actually, a partnership between uh, Tennis New Zealand and also the Levy Tennis Academy, which is a private run academy here in Auckland, uh, Sebastian Levy, who was sort of uh, for a number of years touted as, as a player to perhaps come through New Zealand. He went to the Moritoglu Academy and has developed a really good friendship with um, Patrick Moritoglu and, and he sort of got that established in Auckland uh, over the last year or so. And uh, they've come together. They've got about $100,000 in prize money together for this too. It's been televised on Sky Television over here. Um, so 118 matches all all live, of course, no ball kids, just literally the umpire. Uh, but, of course, with New Zealand moving to level one um, in the alert level system in the last uh, couple of weeks or so, and crowds being allowed back, this week they've had crowds come in, albeit you know, a couple of indoor, very small indoor setting, um, not really made for crowds, but a couple of hundred people um, for the matches. So, um, you know, it's got, a, it's got a real good feel to it and gives viewers, of course, their chance to, to watch live sport too. Um, and, and I suppose from a New Zealand point of view, as you know, uh, the strength and depth is, is not necessarily 
high in, 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 a, in a world scene, but, but all the young guys, the kids trying to make their way that would normally be in colleges in the US, they're back here. They came back pretty much during lockdown, um, as well as some of these stalwarts of the Davis Cup team, players like Michael Venus, who is ranked 11 in the world in doubles, um, Ruben Statham, who's been around forever. He's 33. He's our Kiwi number one, and Artem Sitak, another ATP doubles player. They're all back as well. So you get the young guys and the, and the uh, more experienced players. Um, and I think for the Davis Cup captain, Alistair Hunt, that's been, that's been a really good thing. They've all been in one venue, 24 players playing you know, 15, 15 days of tennis. So, yeah, it's been, it's, I would say it's been a success in terms of what they've started. And given that we're COVID-free, you know, who knows um, what will come and what more will come. I mean, there is talk of, of, of events like a Hotman Cup-style tournament being lured, being lured this, to this part of the world, um, this side of the Tasman, maybe towards the end of the year. Um, who knows what's going to happen? Because, you know, as you guys have been discussing about the US Open, there's just so much uncertainty and there are relatively few what you would call really safe players, safe places, I should say, um, to play the sport. Yeah, Matt, it's great to hear that it's being broadcast over there. It's a discussion that we've been having on our show here for some time now. Obviously, New Zealand tennis probably hasn't reached the heights in recent years that tennis has here in terms of its profile as a sport, tennis players in Australia competing for, I guess, uh, the fans alongside the AFL and the NRL or against those football leagues that we're seeing back here now it's it's been a question that we've been raising if you're able to get a domestic competition up and running how many people will support it and will it help put tennis back on the map how well has it been supported over there i guess from people that aren't your regular tennis fan in terms of viewers in terms of the popularity and bringing that sport back to the forefront again yeah, I still, I mean, I'm going to be brutally honest and say that overall, I mean, we're still looking at relatively few numbers. Not, I don't think Sky and I haven't seen the viewing, the viewing numbers, but, um, but certainly I don't think we're looking at tens of thousands of people suddenly tuning in domestically. Um, it is on YouTube, so it's live on YouTube, and I know they've got viewers, but I'm sure with YouTube you tend to get viewers just, just absolute tennis nuts anywhere in the world will want to see something live and would possibly tune in. But, but in terms of the sheer numbers, I'm not sure whether it's really kicked in that much. It hasn't had as much, perhaps, domestic media exposure um, everywhere else in terms of, you know, in the newspapers, etc., online. Um, so it's been a very, probably very much, I think, more of a, a niche event. Problem we've got in New Zealand, and, and, and this just happens in, in sport, and, you know, it's almost like you need to produce the player first. The player needs to do something, and then everyone catches on. It's very, it's very hard to, um, to, I guess, generate the interest and the hype around a player who's ranked maybe 1,900 in the world because, of course, like you guys, you know, on the TV, when, when, when tennis is happening, we get all the majors, we get all the ATP events, the Masters 1,000, you see the big names, they don't have an NZL <laughs> next to them. Um, you know, I, I was in Paris, you know, Brett mentioned um, the, um, the French Open where Michael Venus won the doubles title in 2017. It just so happened that the, um, the day that happened... Um, he won that doubles title, first Kiwi Grand Slam winner for since the 70s, and um, I think the America's Cup race had been on, and uh, in the sailing, and of course the British and Irish Lions rugby tour in New Zealand was hitting. They played the All Blacks, 
that day and it just, you know, it just got squashed. And yeah. that's unfortunately the problem that tennis has. Unless, you know, unless you're making a singles here, you don't, um, you don't really get the exposure. Hey, Matt, we're on the clock, as, uh, as you know, doing live radio over an hour of covering tennis. Appreciate a little insight, just to give us a little idea, and I'm sure there's people, you know, back home here listening in to, and keeping an eye on what uh, Tennis New Zealand has done in the last few weeks uh, domestically. Uh, appreciate the insights and look forward to bumping into you soon. Cheers, guys. Thanks, Brett. Thanks, Sam. Matt Brown uh, from uh, Radio Sport is giving us a feel for uh, the Tennis New Zealand League that he's uh, set up. All thanks to Berwick Mazda. They've got their magnificent once-a-year epic three-day exclusive sale starting on Friday. If you're looking for a new car to start the new financial year, three prestige place, Nary Warren or berwickmazda.com.au. We'll take a break. Back with more on The First Serve. The First Serve. Your home of tennis. The Green Life Group, your open space specialist in landscape construction, maintenance and project management. Check out glgcorp.com to discover more. Welcome back to the first serve. There's an old saying in US politics, Sir Grothy, apparently, never let a crisis go to waste. Now, Patrick Moritoglu, the <laughs> very influential voice in tennis, coach of Serena Williams, running his own Academy over in beautiful Nice. He started the Ultimate Tennis Showdown. We've got a taste of that over the weekend. He believes there's a place for a, a second tier, if you like, a second league around the traditional events in tennis, a bit like what cricket has done, setting up all these domestic T20 competitions all over the globe. And uh, his quote here, if you believe, Moritoglu, tennis is in a danger zone because the average fan is 61, increasing with each year. The game, he believes, desperately needs to reinvent itself, unlike so many others who make the same complaint. Moritoglu is taking the reinvention process into his own hands. He's not backward and coming forward, but I want to pose that to our next guest, a good friend of the programs, Peter Johnston, uh, current tournament director, Two events in Zhuhai and St. Petersburg. Also looking after Kuyong here, long-time employee of Tennis Australia with the WTA. He understands the global scene as well as anyone. Jono, great to have you back on the show. Hi, BP. Hi, Grothy. Good to talk to you guys. What about those comments from Patrick uh, Moritoglu? Um, as we just sort of, I suppose, look at the big picture, and we've all had a chance, Jono, through this COVID-19 period to have a look at the big picture. Well, look, also, this has been a time for reinvention, I think, uh, for people in terms of creating playing opportunities. And Moritoglu is, I guess, one example of many that are around. I heard you talk earlier about the exos that are around. And, you know, there's the, I'm trying to keep up with them all. There's the Battle of Bradenton. There's the uh, Djokovic series. There's, um, I'm doing one or helping with one in Portugal at the moment that's going to come up in a few weeks' time. And so by nature, all these exos are springing up because players are looking for opportunities. So I guess... Moritoglu has certainly taken this opportunity to, I guess, one, capitalise on who's around at his academy and who can play and who and, and people are desperate for matches, but also, I guess, showcase another point of difference, um, you know, with his format, which has, has been interesting. I, I'm not a real fan of going out and saying, like, sort of bagging tennis to get your, your headline in terms of, I'm not sure about that 61-year-old, demographic I, i'm not sure he's getting his stats from there but uh but you know good on him for having a crack and uh it certainly ignited a bit of interest and in and uh gives us a chance to explore a different format yeah the battle of brits is another one i think that's happening at the moment do you think that tennis australia's maybe missed a little bit of an opportunity uh not to get something up domestically when you see all these other competitions worldwide 
Well, look, Sam, it sounds like it's taken a little bit logistically, I think, because, you know, what were we allowed to do in some states? But, I mean, Tennis Australia really does have an obligation to do it, don't they? I mean, look, you, you, the idea is well, when the circuit resumes, and by the way, that's looking, you know, we could be well looking at a US Open um, uh, happening, and then from there on, the you know, right up, you know, a calendar till the end of the year. Our players have got to be ready, so by nature from a player development reason as much as anything you want to be having you know or providing playing opportunities so i think they've they've been obliged to do it it sounds like it's going to be happening very very quickly and that is really what other federations and and academies are doing i bet you if you went down to florida at the moment Mm. um there'd hardly be an academy that's not running some sort of series of events and it's all about prepping the players for when the tour resumes john what do you know? Because we had you on a number of weeks ago now. You've got two uh, tournaments overseas, Zhuhai, uh, St. Petersburg, that are being impacted because of the, the shift in the calendar and events colliding. What can you tell us in that space that you're in? Are your events any chance of running this year? Or have they been totally cancelled? Can they be moved? What's the latest there? Oh, well, certainly we're... And what the ATP is doing right now is trying to structure... Um, you know what the calendar looks like tentatively and 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 ultimately um actually i guess and both of those are, i guess tentatively you have to do that because there's still a few what ifs in terms or a lot of what ifs in terms of borders etc and government or government by government restrictions and so that's what's happening right now is tournaments are putting their hand up saying if they can go ahead or not go ahead and we're prepared and are you prepared to be in a different date Certainly from St. Pete and um, July point of view, we've put our hand up and said, look, we're, we're keen to play. Um, you know, we, we've, we've put up a couple of ideas when we'd like to play, but also we understand that we'll have to be nimble and be prepared to fit in. Um, and that's really the process. At the same time, what is happening, there's a lot of calls with the tours where this whole back-to-competition protocols is getting trawled through because, you know, they've, they're working round the clock on creating what's, the the, um, the things you need to put in place, and we've seen what's happened with US Open. All the things they've had to put in place, you know, get this the hotel out near LaGuardia, like the the swabbing of the players, all this stuff. Every tournament's going to have to comply with that type of stuff. So you, you, that's where all the work's being done. But this US Open decision is massive because I think it then impacts what the rest of the uh, the, the the tour looks like into the end of the year, and and I'm convinced that the French is going to be played, and I think that'll result in in Rome Madrid going it beforehand, and then from then on, you know, there's the, the there's many tournaments that get plugged in that can play until the end of the year. Yeah, I guess from your point of view, I guess a two part question: if the U.S. Open doesn't go ahead, and we all think it's going to, do you think the rest of the tour then gets canned? Do you think everything's sort of hinging on that? And then I guess. You say that Zhuhai and St. Petersburg are putting their hand up to be played. Is there going to be a pecking order in terms of the level of tournaments that get played? Like, will it be Masters 1000s first slot into the calendar, followed by the 500s, and then the 250s? Do you have any understanding of how that may work? Yeah, well, in the first part, Grothy, I think um, even if, if the US Open is played or not played, I, I think the French Open will be played anyway. I, I, I okay. just see all the signs, and I haven't got that, you know, I'm commentating on it like, like you guys to a degree, but um, I just think the things are lining up well there. I think they're equipped to be able to do it. Uh, the, you know, you're, it's in Europe, so it's less of a uh, logistical nightmare for players coming 
coming in, etc. So I think things start to to get going in in Europe, regardless of if the US Open's played or not. Um, as far as the the pecking order, if you like, in, um, it seems like overall both tours and you know even though there's a lot of different governing bodies, there seems to be like, well, can we get the the, the Grand Slams get first pick, you know, like uh, and then I know with the ATP events, we're sort of it, it will sort of flow on as a result of of what the um, the bigger tournaments get decided, and and that's understandable, you know, like uh, Grand Slams first, but then Masters one thousands. Because there's more money really tied in with those and, and, and the financial model of the tours sort of lends itself that there's more money being made out of the of the thousands and then the five hundreds and then the two fifties. So the the two fifties and the, I do the, the two fifty level, um, we kinda have to be a bit flexible and nimble because we're not the ones driving the calendar, we're the ones who are supporting the calendar in this stage. John, time speeding us. We'll uh, reconvene for another discussion. Uh, US Open, well, we seem to think it's going to get the go-ahead. You're saying regardless that you feel strongly that the French is going to be played uh, this year. Uh, once we find out regarding the US Open, we expect Tennis Australia this week to release its domestic agenda here. So it's a big week coming up in tennis. Always appreciate your time. Pleasure, guys. Peter Johnston, uh, for starting from scratch, they offer that premium glass repair. They specialise in the removal of window scratches, bringing it back to its former glory, whether it's scratches in that sliding door that your pet dog has caused to the local milk bar that has been graffiti tagged with a knife. They can remove it. Head to their website, check out Macker and his team. Starting from scratched, edontheend.com.au. Back with our last bit of the first serve. The first serve. Your home of tennis. The Green Life Group, your open space specialist in landscape construction, maintenance and project management. Check out glgcorp.com to discover more. Welcome back. Another week comes and goes uh, very quickly, uh, Sam Groth. Craig Tiley off the top tonight from Tennis Australia. Uh, certainly optimistic that the US Open is going to be given the nod. We've got a little taste of the New Zealand Premier League that's been going on across the Dutch. And uh, Peter Johnston, uh, we could have an hour with John O. He's uh, got so much history in the game, but his interesting view that regardless of whether the US Open goes ahead or not, he's pretty optimistic the French is definitely going to be played. Yeah, I mean, uh, the the more it looks more and more likely, doesn't it? That Europe's opening up. We saw the Adria tennis tour that Novak Djokovic has been hosting in Serbia. They they had packed crowds in the stadium, so it's a very different situation that they're in in Europe right now. Obviously. We heard about how bad Italy and Spain were at the start of this whole thing, but it looks yep. like as a continent they're coming together. And, yeah, I think we're all just hanging, though, on that US Open decision because then once that is announced, we can all start to move forward. Yeah, no doubt. So we could expect to find out something overnight. Stacey Allister and her team set to uh, make an announcement over there in New York. Of course, Beric Mazda, if you're looking for a new car, get in this Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Three prestige place, Nary Warren or their website, berrickmazda.com.au. They've got an epic three-day exclusive sale for the end of the financial year, so you can get in and get a nice little uh, nice little Mazda, Grothy. Drive away. No more to pay. Oh, tell you what, I might need to get some work back before I can go buy a new car, BP. I uh, stick to playing golf at the moment. If I can fit my golf clubs in, then maybe it's an option. Okay. All right. Well, look, as long as you're improving, do you feel like you're actually improving? The more you're out there, or is it sometimes a hindrance to be out there more often? No, it's nice to have something to uh, take my focus away, I tell you, from, from everything that's going on. It's my it's my little safe space yeah. out on the golf course. All right. I think if people listen back to this show as well on podcasts, which we have a lot of people do, they'll probably hear some footsteps that wandered in to our <laughs> show, Early Doors, and that is 
uh, just the wildlife that uh, travel around uh, the Groth Palace. Just got free reign of the house. The Thank you, yeah. Sam. Nice work. Thanks, mate. All thanks to 100 Words, Enjoy. a network of active local communities with the aim of improving men's mental health. Is Mental Health Week this week and reducing male suicide. Check out their great work at 100words.com.au. Six o'clock, we'll do it all again next Monday night here on SCN and hopefully we'll find out something about the US Open this week. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.